What's up you guys, Sideline Statsman here and welcome to today's episode of the Pigskin Pulpit. Today, we're discussing Wildcard Weekend and Divisional Weekend. Looking back on Wildcard Weekend, we saw a lot of crazy storylines and some ups and downs. Mainly downs for me, but we're going to break down every single game. What went right, what went wrong, even the controversial rulings. And then we'll shift over into the divisional weekend and give a look ahead for what we should expect. How to each team can win, what are the strengths and weaknesses. So without further ado, let's get it started. Wildcard weekend was full of a lot of ups and downs here. Four games were played. The Bills took on the Texans. The Titans turned on the Patriots. The Seahawks took on the Eagles. And the Vikings took on the Saints. I had a bracket perfectly filled out for this. I felt like I had it. No one else was going to top it. Few upsets. I was so set on it. I even did all the statistical work, but I didn't do enough to account for what was going to happen. The Saints were my pick to win the Super Bowl. Arguably my worst pick I've ever made. In the last four years... I know you haven't been around to see me because I haven't posted any times of when I was right or when I was wrong. I'm saying in the last four years, the teams I have selected have either made it to the conference championship or the Super Bowl. This is the first time that one of my teams does not make it there in the last four years. The Saints decided to lose, and it threw me off. But not only did that anger me because I had them winning the Super Bowl, I got two other games wrong, and I only got one right, mainly because the teams didn't do what I said to do. They did the opposite. The teams who won did exactly what I said to do. That was the issue here. I perfectly outlined it. They didn't do it. They missed out on it. And... It affected my projections and affected my accuracy when it comes to predictions. It's the worst I have predicted all season. And again, in probably the last two years. Let's look into it. Let's start with the Bills and the Texans. The Bills should have not should not have even gotten close to the overtime. There should have never been overtime. The Texans deserved to win this game. It was so many mistakes. Statistically, Josh Allen was one of the best quarter players of the day. But he made so many ill-advised decisions, bad choices that affected the outcome of the game. He missed open opportunities downfield. How many passes did we watch and see Josh Allen throw a ball that was too far right, too far left, short, or maybe over his head. It's a mistake we've been seeing. 
Now, I expected this from Josh Allen last season. I'm okay with that. It was last season, rookie year, no problem. Seeing it now where he has the weapons in John Brown and Cole Beasley and now Dawson Knox, not cool. I don't fly with that. I mean, it just led to the fall of the Bills. Remember the play where Josh Allen got tackled and as he was getting tackled with a minute left on the clock in the fourth quarter, he threw the ball behind him to avoid this, to avoid being tackled? What was he thinking? You're not Randy Moss. Randy Moss did on the Vikings. We all know that whole highlight. Amazing video, one of a kind, may never happen again. Why would he attempt that? It shows a lack of confidence, and when a quarterback has a lack of confidence, they're not winning the game. A person who really displayed their confidence was Deshaun Watson. Although he had troubles in the first half, he came back in the second and did what he had to do to put his team in, in the winning spot and get the victory. Deshaun Watson was 20 for 25. That's an 80% completion percentage. Great game for him already. It doesn't matter what other stats there are. If you are thrown at least a minimum of 25 attempts and your completion percent is over 75%, you had a great game. 247 yards and a touchdown. It didn't even matter that he got sacked seven times, three of them by the guy returning from injury, Jerry Hughes. It didn't matter. Watson still went out there, and he did his job, and he won the game. And that's what a quarterback's supposed to do. He did the right thing. There was no lack of confidence. His will was never broken. He kept going no matter what. And that's how he won. And to really explain how big this moment was for Watson, I'm going to play this highlight, and I just want you to listen to the emotion. This is the play where Deshaun Watson is in overtime. Two guys hit him at the same time. We were convinced he was getting sacked. He gets out of it, throws a small pass over to the running back, who then takes it all the way into the red zone around the 10-yard line and makes it a game-winning field goal situation where they kick it, they win, and they move on to the divisional round. Just listen to the audio. Second and six here. Watson, pressure off the edge. Watson! survives it and then checks down to Jones. Jones inside the 40, inside the 30, inside the 20, to the 10-yard line, Taiwan Jones to Sean Watson, magical, 34 yards. What did you imagine? Could you feel that emotion? Did you feel confident and energetic after listening to that? That's how it's supposed to make you feel. And you, can, and you can see now the confidence that this kid has in Houston. When you are at that level, you're not going to be taken down easy. You're going to fight for everything, and that's exactly what he did. You can, you can envision the fight listening to that audio. You can envision it. And that is why they won. It's, never, it's not always about the skill. 
You've got to have it, of course. You've got to have the talent. But it all comes down to your confidence and your drive to do whatever it takes for your team. He did that. Although Allen attempted it, him throwing the ball away was more of a cowardly move than a move of confidence and trying to extend the play. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't register the same way. So that's a big reason why they won. Now, the Bills also beat them in rushing yards, passing yards, and the defense did their job in stopping them. So why did the Bills lose? Again, confidence. A QB who doesn't have it is a QB who's not going to cut it. That's why Winston hasn't cut it. It's why Mariota hasn't cut it yet. It's why Josh Rosen hasn't cut it. There's a lot of quarterbacks out there who can't cut it and can't tough it out because they don't have the confidence to make throws downfield and try to fit it in a tight window. They don't have it. When it's displayed, then it's a different story. I haven't seen it yet. So that's why the Bills lost. That's why the Texans won. Now let's go to the probably the biggest surprise of the week outside of the Vikings and the Saints. The other AFC matchup, the Titans and the Patriots. If you say that you knew the Titans were going to win, I would have never believed you. The only way the Titans were going to win that game is if Derrick Henry had a game. And I knew the Patriots had an incredible defense, the number one in the league. I did not want to see New England lose this game. I love the Titans, don't get me wrong. My two favorite teams in the NFL. Number one, always going to be the Bucks, Buccaneers for life. And two is the Titans. I picked against them believing Tom Brady was going to pull off a miracle and win. Because I know this Titans defense is no joke. I cited the statistics. I tried to give the Titans every reason to win. Couldn't come up with a very strong one. But they did exactly what I said. And they won the game. They stopped. They confused Brady. They found a way to shut down the receivers, lock him down. Kept Brady on his toes. And then just helped Henry maximize his potential getting into the second level and beyond. They did it. And that's how they won. Kept the wrong game going. Kept feeding the beast. Now, for those who don't know, Derrick Henry had 34 carries for 182 yards, a touchdown, an average of 5.35 yards per attempt. Incredible numbers. Unbelievable numbers, to be exact. It's the reason why he's the best running back in the NFL right now. Now, the other thing is, though, that was the weak spot of the Patriots' defense. Going and trying to get past that defensive line is a, is a problem all in itself. Once you get to linebacker core, it's easier. The only person you got to worry about in the linebacker core is really is Kyle Van Noy. I don't care what you have to say about Jamie Collins. Kyle Van Noy is someone you got to watch out for. You got by him. He did what he had to do. Henry's getting about 10 yards every time I watched him. Unbelievable. They did exactly what they had to do. Now, usually when you start seeing a running back go off like that, you got to make adjustments on defense, the right ones, to stop Henry. That means put as many guys inside as possible if you know they're not going to throw the ball, which they didn't. They really didn't throw the ball. Tannehill maybe threw it 15 times, and 
when that happens, that means they have so much trust in their run game to beat you, they're not going to throw the ball. That means you got to adjust it properly. They tried to. Didn't go well. I watched this over and over again. And the only way you stop Henry is trying to read how they're handing the ball off. Which direction is it going? Where is the extra man for blocking? And who are the main guys he trusts when he goes to pop in through the gaps? Who does he go to the most? Whoever he goes to the most, you flood that spot. You hit that spot with an extra guy. Do that, you're going to force Henry into a tough spot where he has to create his own behind a guy he doesn't trust as strongly. And when that happens, that's where you get the mistakes, and that's when you get him down for about one yard, two yards, maybe in the backfield. You, you minimize his impact at that moment. That's a defensive adjustment. I didn't see that. Now, I don't know if it's the coordinator's fault or if it's on the captains of the defense because I know it ain't Belichick's fault. You got to make these adjustments properly to stop and avoid these problems. On that note, that's the main reason why they lost. The other one is just a loss of trust in the receiving core from Brady, I should say. I watched Brady the entire game. It didn't feel like he was there. And I don't know if it's because he's lost touch with his team. I don't know if it's because he was hurt or maybe a mix of both. All I know is watching that final pass he threw as a Patriot, I could see in his eyes he gave up on the franchise. That final throw from Tom Brady for the pick six by Logan Ryan was single-handedly the defining moment of his career. What I mean by that is that defining moment where we realize it's over. I watched how he threw that ball. I watched how he walked away after throwing that ball. And I knew Brady was ready to leave. He was done with Foxborough. He wants somewhere else where he feels like he has the best chance to win. And he doesn't believe the Patriots are that spot anymore. And he knows they're not going to give him the money he deserves to be there. And he's gone. Sorry, Patriots fans. It's not like this is what I wanted. As for Titans, though, or, you know, as, as to my point before, the receivers on staff for that game included players like Jacoby Myers, Philip Dorsett, Julian Edelman, Ben Watson. And I looked through the most notable players, and these are statistics I got. It's not about the yardage they gained. At all. Nothing to do with it. It has to do with the amount of targets they caught. Every pass that was targeted towards them, what was there, how many of them did they catch? Edelman was targeted five times, he caught three. Okay? I'm not mad at that. I'm not angry at it. But when your rookie receiver who you took in the first round, and kill Harry, is has seven targets and catches two of them, I'm concerned. And I'm seriously concerned. 
I am concerned when your receiver cannot catch the damn ball. Mohamed Sanu, who they got from the Falcons to help ease Tom Brady's problems at receiver. Five targets. He caught one. Philip Dorsett, the son of the great Tony Dorsett. Four targets, one catch. I don't know if you want me to say that this is on Brady for missing throws. Or if you want me to say this is a receiver for not holding on to it. Because I can certainly tell you that some of these throws, I remember watching and seeing the receivers drop them. Especially Edelman on third down. He had a chance to catch it and get the first down and he missed it. And had to help the, and the Patriots had to go for a field goal. I remember that. It's unbelievable. When that happens, that's how you know you're not winning the game. Got to catch the ball. You got to build this team better, Bill. Especially in the receiving core. You got to be ready to account for that. Let's move into the Vikings and the Saints. The game I, I, I'm just still very upset about. Let's talk about why the Vikings won. The Vikings won simply because they just controlled the time of possession, which when you do that, you keep Breeze off the field. It's a smart idea, and it's effective, and it gets the job done every time. Minnesota dominated time of possession by having the ball for 36 minutes and 56 seconds. New Orleans had the ball for only 27 minutes and 24 seconds. That is nearly a 10-minute difference. That means the Vikings had the ball nearly 10 minutes more than the Saints. Think about that. That's the main reason why the Vikings beat them in almost every statistic. They had the ball longer for more time, and the offensive coordinator for the Saints could not design this right. He didn't know how to beat the Vikings' defense. They kept, they knew every play. They knew what he was running every time, and they took advantage of it. It doesn't work. That means you need either a new offensive coordinator or you need to find create a better game plan and read better on the film to create a, to know what to use in your playbook. Minnesota outgained the Saints on both sides. Simply put, that just means pass the passing game and the running game were better than the Saints. And the real bright spot here for the Saints was just Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Drew Brees, 26 for 33, 208, a touchdown, a pick. It's really not that bad. It's pretty good. The pick was actually kind of surprising. We didn't expect it. But, again, what do you really expect here? The Saints could have won this game if they had the ball more, if the defense could create more stops and keep the Vikings from constantly running the clock. That's all the Saints needed to do. They didn't do it. They weren't expecting it, and that's why they ended up losing. But I know the big question you're all concerned about. Was there pass interference on the touchdown pass in overtime to Kyle Rudolph on third and goal? Now, as you watch, I've seen multiple reports and opinions on what they what people believed happened. 
That includes former defensive backs, former tight ends, receivers, you name it. This is what I saw. Kyle Rudolph is going to the corner of the end zone. The corner's playing close on him, P.J. Williams. Williams and Rudolph are getting handsy the entire way. When the ball is at the halfway point, at the peak of the arc, you see Rudolph extend his arm to push back P.J. Williams. That is clearly offensive pass interference. If the arm completely extends out to create separation, purposely to create an unfair advantage for the receiver, it is offensive pass interference. Simple as that. His arm completely extended, even if it was just for a brief second, completely extended, he pulled his arm back, went up, made the catch. So yes, there is offensive pass interference. That's how the rule goes. Simple as that. What I don't agree with is what's going on with the defensive end. Watch again very carefully. I want you to try to watch this highlight again when we're done with this video, with this podcast episode. When you're done listening, watch the video. When he goes to extend, P.J. Williams takes his hand and he grabs Rudolph's arms to try to keep him from pulling his arm back to make the catch. Now, in that case, that is also defensive pass interference or holding. So, I would call it holding there. Personally, I would call that holding. This means that it's two different plays and penalties. Two different penalties by the offense and the defense. You can call offensive pass interference on Rudolph and then call another penalty on the defense for holding, which cannot be reviewed. P.J. Williams clearly held. Not the jersey. It didn't matter if he held the jersey. That's a holding clearly, obviously. But if he goes and he's having and he's holding the player's arm, it didn't matter if he extended. P.J. Williams grabbed his wrist and held him. Even if it was only for a second, he held him. That hinders his ability to catch the ball. It also hurt P.J. Williams' chances to catch the ball. Now, either way, he held him in the end zone. That is a no-no. So the true ruling should have been offsetting penalties. That So offset penalties, replay third down. That's what it should have been. But again, the NFL does what it wants. I'm just a fan. I'm just a sports analyst. I don't know anything. It's not like I live and breathe football and I study everything and I watch film and I wa- and I make sure that everyone's informed properly and gets the right information. It's not it's not like I do that for a living. No way. I don't do that for a living. But you know what? My judgment again Offsetting penalties, replay third down. Let them go again. Then you go fourth and goal, whatever you got to do. But it wasn't called. It's over with. We're done. Simple as that. Congrats to the Vikings, though. You guys played a really well, good game, and I commend you for your hard effort. Which brings us now to the Seahawks and Eagles. I don't know where to start here with this game. 
I'm very happy the Seahawks won. That's who I picked to win, but I felt bad for McCowan. After I went 0-3 in the games for the weekend, my bracket busted, I was saying, screw it, let's just watch the Eagles win here. I want to go 0-4 and and watch the Eagles upset the the Seahawks, which I don't know why Vegas didn't favor the, why they favored the Eagles. That was one of the worst decisions they've ever made. I, it hurt to watch Wentz come off the field, and I'm, I don't want to hear any Philly fans tell me that Wentz is injury prone. He deserved to get hurt. I don't want to hear any of that. You never wish that upon a person ever. You don't say that about a person. I, I say people are injury prone all the time. The only time you should be calling a person injury prone is when it happens every time they're on the field. Wentz does not get hurt every time he's on the field. He's a consistent player. He's played almost every snap this season. It just happens so that the injury bug in Philly finally caught up with Wentz and knocked him out of the game. McCowan went in, and he's playing He's playing on a torn hamstring. The 40-year-old quarterback playing on a torn hamstring is running around the field. And getting and extending the, the plays. I was very impressed with how McCowan played the game. It was stellar. It showed true backup ability and said he can still play at the age of 40. I kept I kept reading reports on it, and at one point I read something that said that his injury was so bad that the muscle, the actual hamstring muscle, was off his bone. And he was still running around throwing that ball and trying to get this game, get this team a victory to get into the divisional round. I don't know about you, but if I'm the Eagles, I'm I'm signing him back. That's commitment. I trust that quarterback with my with my heart. I'm keeping McCowan. If you want to be a coach, sure. If you want to work as an assistant coach, sure. If you want to be a backup quarterback, hell yeah. I'll give you that. I'm just saying. I wouldn't let him go. He's important to this team. This is the thing, though. I was impressed by Seattle's win, but the fact that it was still a one-score game all the way through, especially for the Eagles, who are working off a backup quarterback who's 40 years old with a torn hamstring, and a depleted receiving core, and a running back who's playing with an ankle injury, not, that's not good. I don't trust that team. I especially don't trust that team when their run game couldn't even do anything. What do I mean by that? We were all impressed by DK Metcalf's game. Athletic Freak should have been a first-rounder pick, but, you know, things happen. Life goes on. Watching the run game, though, I was very disappointed. I don't know if y'all know, but... Marshawn Lynch had six rushing attempts, but only gained seven yards. I mean, this is beast mode. How did he only get seven yards on six rushes? Not a, not good. And now you got to go play the Packers. This is your chance to rebound. If you can't rebound off this, you're not winning or going to the Super Bowl. Now, if you think that's bad, let's look at Travis Homer. Travis Homer had 11 carries, 12 yards, 12 yards, 11 carries for 12 yards, come on man, 
that's either an offensive line issue or just poor decision making from the from the Eagle from the Seahawks. Like, come on, that you you got to do better than that. That's a total like nineteen yards between them, and that's on a total of about seventeen carries for nineteen yards. Think about that. Not good. Not good whatsoever. Gotta fix that. Now, when I'm talking about McCowan also having a great game, this is what I mean. He got sacked six times. Even with that, and he had that hamstring injury. He should have been out of that game. He shouldn't have played. They should have put Sudfeld in. But no, McCowan still went 18 for 24, 174 yards. I, in my opinion, that's a trooper right there. That guy's a legend for keep to decide to keep going through that. A lot. A, kudos to him. Kudos. Severe kudos. I mean it. And then you got Sanders, who also had a strong game with 14 carries, 68 yards. He averaged that out. That's almost five yards a carry. Great job. A lot of respect there for you too. You've been an incredible running back this year, especially with a solid rookie season. Making a good case, too, for Offensive Rookie of the Year. So, yeah. That's what went wrong, and that's what went right. No more debates. Simple as that. Let's go on now and take a look into Divisional Weekend and what we should be looking forward to. Let's look at the Vikings and the 49ers as the first matchup. I know you guys are probably jumping now and saying that the 49ers got this getting in the bandwagon. I'm telling you now, not so fast. I'm not picking the Vikings to win. I'm not picking the 49ers to win. You'll just have to wait and hear that. But don't count out the Vikings. They're not going to have Mike Hughes or Mackenzie Alexander for this game. I understand. That's big, that's big losses in the defense. But that means the Vikings got to play even harder to shut down the 49ers. They got a strong run game, one of the best in the league. They've got a strong defense, I think number two overall in the league. And they are known for their pass defense and their run defense. You got to find ways to mix it up and keep them guessing. That's the only way you win. You also got to look at forcing turnovers. Jimmy Garoppolo is not great of of not good of a quarterback. I still do. I still say this, and you guys can say all you want. Jimmy Garoppolo is still overrated. Doesn't matter if his team got the number one seed or not. Jimmy Garoppolo is way overrated, and I stand by that. Jimmy G, I believe, if I'm correct here, his turnovers, not good numbers, man. Not good numbers. I heard it's about 16th, 17th. Not good. And Vikings are a ball hawk team. They'll come up and they'll take it and they'll run with it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. You cannot make this. You got to capitalize on those mistakes he makes. That's the only way you're going to beat the Niners. Otherwise, you're going to have to use Cook for runs involving two tight end sets. Because when you use a two tight end set, it's like a, in me, I call that a, I like to call that the real, um, I believe my nickname for it when you use a two tight end set for a run, 
That would mean, you know, one tight end on each side, on the left and right. I believe I call that a max set. I call it a max. Because you got the maximum amount of guys you can put on the line right there to block. Because really, you can't throw the receivers right next to the tight ends and block and make them block. You can't do that. To my knowledge, you can't. But I that's why I call it the tight end set. Because it's like you're adding two more O-linemen. So if they try to use that and make him run more outside pitches, maybe do a couple counters, and at times if you want to mix it up, go with the fullback system, go with some guts, whatever you got to do, whether it means attacking the inside, attacking on bouncing outside, on pitches, whatever you got to do, just make sure to get maximum protection as possible. That way linebackers can't come up and make a massive play. Same thing. You don't want Sherman or Jaquiski Tart, or having Quan Alexander come up and making a big play. Don't want that, because Quan Alexander's coming back. One more way to win, find ways to get in the end zone. When you're in the end zone, when you are in the red zone, I should say, I don't mean the end zone, the Niners' defense struggles in the red zone. When a team reaches the red zone, that's when the Niners start to stall, and you don't want to have to deal with that, because that just creates more and more problems. Here's what I mean. The Niners' overall ranking for red zone percentage is 22nd in the league. Not a good number whatsoever. This now puts them in jeopardy. I can't tell you how many problems I see here looking over what could go wrong for the Niners in the red zone. The Vikings reach the red zone, they're going to kill them. You can mix it up with some cook plays, some short routes over to Irv Smith Jr., maybe out to Thielen, get digs on a short route, whatever you got to do. They'll cut away at the yards and then get in that end zone with Cook. It's, they can do anything. That's why the Niners are so good is, and focus on shutting them down and keeping them from going on. They're trying to keep teams from reaching the red zone because they know they can't make it in the red zone. That's why they play defense so hard and try to force stops on third down. Especially on the opponent side on the opponent side of the field. They try to do that all the time. That way they get the ball back in good field position. They don't have to worry about defending uh, passes in the red zones, runs like that. That's why the Red Niners are so good. So that's what they got to do. Find ways to get in the red zone. Use Cook and max protection sets. And overall just... Go get turnovers. Force them off of Jimmy. Now, that speaking of the Niners here and Jaquisti Cart, he's going to be coming back with Quan Alexander and D Ford for this game. And I'm really excited for it because this is just going to give extra strength in the line and help out that ball hawk secondary to try to change everything up. They're hard-hitting, they're aggressive, and when Jaquisti Tart is back there and Quan Alexander's in there, nothing's going to stop him. So, a big way for the Niners to win this, although they're the favorites, got to mix up the run game. All three of your backs are healthy here. Breda, Coleman, and Mostert. All of them are healthy, good to go. Mix it up any way you want. Just do what you got to do to win. You can use Coleman on second down runs. You can use Breda on the first, and then use Mostert on third as the power guy. Get that extra push. Mix it up. 
All you got, that's all you got to do. Mix, take players, make them run different downs. Anything you want. Keep the Vikings guessing. It's all this game is. Football is a chess game. You never want the you never want the opposite team to find out what you're thinking. If they know what you're thinking, they're going to use it against you and force mistakes. That's the whole point of this game. It's about outsmarting the other team. Another thing the Niners have to do, capitalize on third down every chance you get. You're fifth in the NFL when it comes to third down percentage. Every time you get to third down, do something. Do something different. Keep doing what you're doing when you get to third down. If that means trying to throw off throw off a D, uh, the D lineman maybe on a little slip screen on a, on a short gain, that's all it is. Something like that. If it's a longer gain, do a little post route from the outside and then make the, and make the inside guy run a post out. Do like crossing patterns. Whatever you got to do. Anything to throw the defense off and get the third down and convert. And this goes to my number one point. Be risky, Jimmy. It's like a contradictory to what I said about the Vikings winning. So for the Vikings to win, they got to force mistakes off of Garoppolo. But if Garoppolo really wants to make a name for himself and prove to me he's not overrated, he's got to be risky. He's got to take some risks. That means take some throws downfield, hit a, hit a guy deep, do what you got to do. You have Emmanuel Sanders for a reason. Capitalize on it. Make the most of it. Do what you have to do to put your team in the best position to succeed. That is the goal. You want to kill the Vikings. You don't want to even give them the chance to come back. You want to devastate them. Do what you have to do. Be risky. Take those throws and show everyone why you are with the Niners, why you got the contract, why you are the best QB in the NFL, even though I surely believe you aren't. By a long shot. Prove me wrong. At the end of the day, I see the Niners winning this game over the Vikings. And not only do they win, the spread on this game is seven. So, I see the Vi- the 49ers win and they cover the spread. They will cover the spread for se- over and score more than seven and win by more than seven points. So, I'm saying they cover. Let's move the Titans-Ravens now. Titans, great win against the Patriots. That's the good news. That's my good part for you. The bad news and the bad part. You're taking on the most difficult team in the AFC and in the NFL in the Ravens. How do you stop Lamar Jackson? That's what you got to figure out. If Ingram is not healthy, you've got an advantage. Their passing game is not great. Force them to throw deep. Do what you got to do. Challenge him. you got to find ways to do that or you won't win. Tannehill, you're going into a no-fly zone with the secondary. Got to find ways to throw Earl Thomas out. Find a way to get him to make mistakes and use his veteran experience against him. So let's start right away with talk about the Ravens. Their run game's in trouble. Mark Ingram's hurt. I heard he's going to play, but he's not going to be 100% once again. And because he's still battling injury. And same thing for Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews has been having a great year at the tight end position. Very unspoken guy. But easily becoming one of the best tight ends in the league. 
And if they're both expected to play, but they're gonna be not they're not gonna be hundred percent. And that's a big loss and a big factor into why the Titans have a chance. I was reading the ESPN predictions the other day. Eighty one percent of fans believe that the Ravens are going to beat the Titans. The last time we had those kind of numbers was when the Titans played the Patriots in the last round and the Titans beat them. So again, can you really trust the fans here? Can you can I really trust you? I'm just telling you what you need to know and how they win. The Ravens, this is their game to lose. This is their game to lose. They should have this in the bag. But they can only do this as long as they decide to focus on stuffing the line. If you stuff the line, you load up the box, you're going to you're going to keep Henry from making any mistakes from gaining any extra yardage. You did that last time you played him early this season. Don't keep it up. Do it again. Don't change what helped you win last time. If something's different and your game plan's starting to fall apart, make adjustments. And do it the right way. You don't want Henry to bounce off Lyman. He gets extra yardage when he bounces off a missed tackle or a blocker. When he bounces off, that's when he gets the extra boost he needs and accelerates around the edge and gets the extra 10-15 yards. You do not want that. Do everything you can to keep him from bouncing off and squeezing through and getting off of linemen. So, that's all it is here for the Ravens. But let's move to the Titans now. The Titans are a big deal. Because this is a big game. They're on a hype train. They got to keep it up. Vrabel did a great job getting these guys to win last week against the Patriots. But how are they going to keep it going? Now that we're entering a really tough game against the Ravens, the top dog in the AFC. You're getting Khalif Raymond back. Great news. That's what you needed to hear. You're probably not going to have Adam Humphreys again. Good loss right there. In the slot. You don't want to lose that guy. Very reliable. And Khalif Raymond's been dealing with concussions. So he passed protocol. He's cleared to go. But now the Titans are... Bad news is they could be without Jayon Brown. When you're without Jayon Brown, that's where the problem starts setting in. He's a starting linebacker who has been very good this year when it comes to trying to stop the runs from going past the second level. As a run stopper, that's somebody you don't want to lose. There are plenty of great linebackers out there who are great in pass protection and rushing the quarterback, but this guy is purely a run stopper and makes excellent reads off the running back's eyes and watching exactly where he moves and everything. It's it's perfect. And Derrick Henry is a great example of a great running back. I've heard... Rumors that he trains with Jayon Brown. I've heard a rumor about that. I don't think it's true. I highly doubt it's true. But if it is, that would explain why Jayon Brown is such a great run stopper and good at making these reads. Not a guy you want to lose. Hopefully he's ready to suit up and go. Very underrated guy on this defense. Very forgotten about. Now for the Titans to have any chance to win this game because they can win this game they have to do this if they want to win it's the only way 
Maximize as many opportunities on the ground as possible. Find every chance you get to incorporate Henry in and get yards. If you're in a tough situation where you know they're going to defend the pass and there's going to be mistakes made, make Henry run, get the yards you need. That would mean if it looks like it's going to be play action and they know it's going to be play action, audible. Audible to run so that play action becomes now a run and you move the receivers inside and then get so you get the extra blockers and he makes that run he needs to get the yardage to convert. This also means now that you're going to have to get active in the passing game. This isn't New England. You can't just win off a run game. This is the Baltimore Ravens. These are no joke. Harbaugh squad is no joke. You got to get active. So by giving... T- one of those ways you could do it is giving Ryan Tannehill max protection to prevent blitz and possible loss of yardage. Ryan Tannehill gets sacked a lot. And that Titans line is not good whatsoever. They're not great. They're great at blocking the run and stopping and stopping any potential D lineman from squeezing through and getting Henry. But what makes them different is that they cannot block for the quarterback. I don't know. It's just something different. So this would mean you got to probably throw in a tight end, one tight end, only runs, two receivers, maybe run the running back out of the backfield, maybe switch it for a strong fullback like Deion Lewis if he's healthy and good to go, and just use that to your advantage. You want to make sure Tannehill's comfortable so you can make the right reads and throw it to the right guys. So if there's going to be blitz situations, you're going to run two tight end, you're going to have two tight ends blocking. That's what you should audible to, and have two receivers run the route, make make the running back come up for a block, and then feed out to the outside if it seems like you're take if Tannehill's taking time and not seeing anybody get open. It's simple, but it's hard to execute. Very difficult. I can say these things all I want. I can outline it any way I have to. But if you can't execute it right, it'll never happen. So, if Tannehill has max protection, he can make the right plays and get the ball down to Jonu Smith, get it down to A.J. Brown, Khalif Raymond, Sharp, whoever it has to be. Ferkser, even. This is a tough game. And it's going to be closer than a lot of people expect. I've got the Ravens winning. They're going to win. But they will not cover the spread. Vegas made a mistake. The spread, they're not going to cover. If you're betting, I promise you, I think you should take the Titans. I know last week was a tough week for me. But trust me, the Ravens are going to beat the Titans, but they will not cover the spread. Ten points is way too much. Chiefs and Texans now. Texans got away with the game last week against the Bills. Now they're going to take on the Chiefs. Story of the week is just that the Texans are banged up in the secondary. Got a lot of injuries, a lot of guys who aren't really fully healthy, and among their receivers and tight ends as well. Fuller's healthy. He's expected to play on Sunday and and should be good to go. Everyone should be fine. Everything should be... Okay, for the most part, but 
they, you still need to monitor the, the injury report because you never know if someone's going to get labeled inactive from a setback. You don't know. J.J. Watt could get a setback and they could not have him for Sunday. You never know what's going to happen. So keep an eye on the, on the injury report. And this goes for everybody. The Texans can win this game. As every team can. Every team I'm naming right now can win their game. But they have to establish the run fast. The Chiefs have a have the 26th overall ranked run defense. This is perfect. This is just what they need for Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde. Those two together as a 1-2 should be the difference maker and the advantage they need to win this game. Rely on those two more. Give Watson a little bit of a break. Can't make them throw all the time. Not like what you did with the Bills. And the reason why I'm saying this is because mainly... The Chiefs are a ball hawk secondary. And I mean like a ball hawk secondary. They are ranked fifth in the NFL in interceptions. The Chiefs. That defense forces interceptions like nothing. Which means they need to cut down on the amount of times they put that ball in the air. They get fuller back. That should bring more confidence into the game. But I need to see a more of an emphasis on the run game and maximizing every chance you get. Take it and run with it. I want to also watch to see if Watson can pull off a good upset over his former teammate, Tyron Matthew. That matchup is the one to watch. Tyron Matthew versus Deshaun Watson. Because Watson and Matthew are going to be exchanging glares. They're going to read each other. He's going to read what Matthew does and make the proper adjustment for, for him. Tyron Matthews is going to do the same thing. If he sees Watson making an audible and changing up the play, he's going to read it, he's going to tell everybody, and he's going to make the adjustment he needs to make to get to force the turnover. The Chiefs are actually fairly healthy. So they should have an immediate advantage already over the Texans, but I expect the, the Chiefs to do okay. They will win if they avoid red zone situations and focus on using the deep ball in the same play style that got them here. Why I say that? They're not great when they reach the red zone either. They're a lot like the 40 they're a lot like the 49ers defense. 49ers defense is great at stopping guys from getting deep plays outside the red zone. But when in the red zone, they can't it's hard to stop them. They they make mistakes and that's when touchdowns get scored. It's, the, it's similar to that for the Chiefs. Mahomes has a big arm, and he makes big plays outside the red zone. When he's in the red zone, it's hard to convert. And when they can't do it, they got to kick field goals. So the goal here for the Chiefs is to try to avoid getting in the red zone. You want to capitalize on your big plays. So if you're getting to about the 35, 30-yard line of the Texans, throw a deep pass over to Tyreek Hill, Miko Hardman, Sammy Watkins, whoever you got to go to, Maximize it. Use every chance you have to get that ball in their hands and not be forced to go in the red zone. That's really what got them there. And this is the 29th overall ranked pass defense in the league. And they have Vernon Hargreaves now. I mean, come on. Let's go here. I say the Chiefs win this game and will cover the spread. They're going to win it handily, too. This is no joke. The Chiefs win this game and cover the spread, which is 10. I know I just 
complained about it with the Ravens, but I'm telling you, Chiefs are going to win this game outright. Which brings us to the last one, Seahawks-Packers. Seahawks are in serious trouble. They beat the Eagles, but now they got a downturn in production from Homer and Lynch. And now they got massive injuries they're dealing with as well. You do not want to be a Seahawk right now. But they can win. They can win this game. This is going to be the best game of the week. The Seahawks can win this game as long as Lynch breaks out against these Packers. Shouldn't be a problem. They should be able to make things happen. Lynch and Homer going back and forth. Rely on Lynch more. Make him take more carries. That also means they got to avoid third down situations. The Seahawks are 16th overall when it comes to their third down percentage. Which means they're not good, they're not great. They're also not bad. They need to do everything they can to mac to not maximize, but take advantage of what they have going on. They want to take advantage of those early downs and keep the ball rolling. Don't show up the clock. Just focus on scoring. Keep scoring it. Keep laying it on the Packers. If you keep putting points on them, it's going to be harder and harder for Rodgers to come back. You're just going to put him into a deeper hole. He tries to get out. You push him right back in. That's what it means. The other big thing. Secondary has to find a way to force turnovers off Rodgers because Rodgers... It's first in the it's first in the league in interceptions. What I mean by that is he is the only he's the highest rated quarterback when it comes to interceptions. He doesn't throw a pick. He rarely throws interceptions. Very rarely. So you want to find ways to get him to for to get to throw the ball off target and into your hands. If this means Throwing it into disguise sets like I talked about last episode, do it. Disguise the coverage, expose him. Make him think that it's going to be cover two, switch it to cover four. And that means there's no man's, no man coverage. It's all zone. He won't expect it, and that's when things change. So that's a big thing. And keep in mind, the Seahawks are fifth in the league in interceptions. Easy to make that happen for them. So let's see if Shaquille Griffin can get his revenge on Rodgers. Moving now to the Packers and how they can win. They're in serious trouble already because Preston Smith and Kenny Clark are listed as questionable. That means even if they're to play, they're not going to be 100%. This whole game, you're going to need you're going to need Clark, you're going to need Preston Smith, you're going to need Zadarius Smith. You got Zadarius. Just Zadarius by himself isn't going to do the job. You need everybody. So they can win if Jones and Williams can pound the rock into the second level consistently for good yardage. One of the biggest weak spots for the Packers is their run game. They never had a really strong game, even if they had Aaron Jones. It's been a problem because they never had a premier back. You need a premier back who can really do it all himself. If you don't have that, can't really win. In this case, the Packers have two guys they use as dual threats, one-two punch, Usually it's a great idea, but I don't think they have one. I don't even think their system really works. Easiest way to explain it is Jones has to go over 100 yards. 
Jones has to go over 100 yards. Williams at least 50. This run game's got to be packing and pushing hard against the Seahawks. Back him in a corner. The other way you could do it is getting in the red zone on every drive. If the Packers get in the red zone every drive, they have a, ch- they have a good chance of beating the Seahawks. Because their weakness is red zone defense. Just like the Texans defense. Who's just, well, let me rephrase that. I'm saying, when I'm talking about red zone defense, I'm referring to teams like the 49ers. 49ers are not good on red zone defense, neither is the Seahawks. So, that would mean the Packers have to constantly get into the red zone every time. If that means dropping dimes down to Baldis Scantling or or throwing a nice pass downfield to Devontae Adams and he gets up, breaks out free and gets down about the 15, 10-yard line, that, that's fine. If they don't get the touchdown, that's fine. Just get in the red zone. That way you can take advantage of what the Seahawks struggle at, defending the ball in the red zone. Do it. Do that and you'll win. After all that being said, I think it's mainly the injuries that are swaying me here because they both are not well right now with injuries. I'm going to give it to the Seahawks, which means I did not bet the favorite. I'm taking the underdog. Green Bay will not cover. I prefer and suggest you pick the Seahawks to win this week. The Seahawks should be a lock pick for you. So yeah, there it is. That's my predictions this week. I know I had a bad week last week, but... Trying to put that behind me. These are predictions this week. For the AFC, I've got the Ravens beating the Titans, but they will not cover that spread of 10 points. The Chiefs take on the Texans. Their spread is 10 points in favor of the Chiefs, and they will win and cover. In the NFC, you've got the Vikings taking on the Niners. The Niners will win, and they will cover their spread, which is 7. And then finally... The Seahawks will beat the Packers. And since they are the underdog, that means the Packers will not cover the spread. And that's that. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll have another episode ready to go next week for you. And keep an eye out. In the next few weeks, I'm releasing my first mock draft. As soon as the Super Bowl is over, my first mock draft, the full seven rounds will be coming out. That means you can look at what I'm giving your team. I'll break down the first round in the episode following the Super Bowl recap. Until then, I am your host, the Sideline Statsman. And this has been the Pigskin Pulpit. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at TStatsman and on Instagram at the.sideline.statsman. We'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody.